Profit Profile. You're listening to Premier Christian Radio. Hello and welcome to The Profile here on Premier Christian Radio with me, Sam Hales. The Profile is the show where we delve into a person's life, faith and ministry and it's brought to you in association with the UK's leading Christian magazine. That's Premier Christianity magazine. If you would like a free sample copy of the latest issue, you can head to our website, premierchristianity.com forward slash free sample. Today on The Profile, I'm speaking to Rich Wilkerson Jr. Rich, together with his wife Dawn Cherie, pastors Vu Church in Miami, Florida. He's an international speaker who's over in the UK to speak at HTB's leadership conference at the Royal Albert Hall here in London. He's best known, perhaps, for officiating the wedding of Kanye West and Kim Kardashian. And he's been described by Hillsong Church's founder, Brian Houston, as carrying an ability to seamlessly engage people with the message of Jesus. He's the star of reality TV show Rich in Faith, has half a million followers on Instagram and has authored two books, most recently Friend of Sinners, Why Jesus Cares More About Relationship Than Perfection. Rich, welcome to the program. Hey, thanks for having me, Sam. Honored to be here. And welcome to the UK. How are you finding it here? I love the UK and this week I think the grace of God has really met us where we are with the best weather I came over here with winter clothes, and I should have brought my bathing suit. I, I have no shorts, but it has been hot. I think I got a sunburn yesterday. Have you felt like you're back home in Miami? Yeah, I really do. I think that might have, honestly, the sun might have followed us. So um, I know you come from a, a ministry, family ministry background. I know you're related to the to the late, great David Wilkerson, mm. who's famous for writing The Cross and The Switchblade. Yeah. So, so tell me a bit about your early life growing up, because that's quite a heritage to come from. Yeah, um, David Wilkerson is a second cousin. Uh, my dad and him were first cousins. I would have grown up calling him Uncle David. And yeah, he's just a hero and a legend of a man. But I come from, uh, I'm, I'm four generations pastors, you know, uh, on both sides, my mom's side and my dad's side. My mom's side is the Buntane family. Uh, and then my dad's side, of course, is the Wilkerson family. And both the Wilkersons and the Buntanes have very rich heritage in the Assemblies of God movement denomination. Um, I was born in Tacoma, Washington, 1984, St. Joe's Hospital. Tacoma's outside of uh, the city of Seattle. And um, I grew up to with the best parents in the world. I've got three brothers, an older brother than two younger brothers. And growing up in Tacoma was really, really beautiful. Uh, the first 14 years of my life was spent there. My grandfather pastored um, an Assemblies of God church called Life Center, a special place. In fact, he pastored that church for 40, over 40 years. Wow which I think in itself is like a good picture of success. You know, I think many times we think victories goes to people that go the hardest, Mm. but I really think victory many times goes to people that just go the longest Mm. and staying in the game and staying, staying faithful. Yeah. So so that is a picture. So with that kind of a background, was there ever a pressure or an expectation that you would go into the ministry? Yeah, I think there is. I think that maybe not overtly or, or meant to be directly, but I think that we pick up our own perceptions. And I think as a young man, I remember my dad is my hero. My dad for 22 years was an itinerant preacher. So we were kind of planted there in Tacoma. And then my dad would travel out and preach. And so I had my grandfather who was leading this great church that had a private school attached to it, had retirement homes, had assisted living programs, had ministry all across the city. And then my dad was on airplanes every week. And so I think no matter what, by default, there was this level of whether it was said or not said that man, this is kind of what our family does and they lead and they preach. And so I remember as a young man feeling at times just going, how will I ever live up to this? But 
on the flip side of that coin, I think it has always had people around me that were just so for me and believed in me. My dad is like the most affirming and loving encourager you've ever met. He's the kind of guy who's just like always in a good mood. And if you fall into a pit, you want him in the pit with you because he's going to figure a way to get out and going to be grateful. But yeah, I think at different areas of my life, I would have felt those pressures. And it wasn't until I was uh, 17 years of age where I really had my own encounter with God. And it was um, really the starting point of me, I think, surrendering and submitting to not just following Jesus, but on a bigger scale of going, I'm going to answer the call. Mm. And I think that began the navigation of, all right, what does that look like for me? And I think I'm always trying to encourage people for that. Like, I think that there's a lot of pressure today to do it like this guy or do it like that guy. We just got done with the HTB leadership conference. You know, I can sit there and like, what I loved about it was the diversity of guests that they had. But if you're not careful, you can sit there and go, oh, I should be more like him or more like her, or I should say it more like this or more like that. And I think when we start doing that, we're putting ourselves in this comparison category and comparison will just kill your contentment. Comparison will just rob you of the capacity God's put inside of you. And so I think we have to learn how to go on our journey of being authentically who we are. And I think that's a process. Yeah. So um, tell me how you met your wife. (laughs) Ha ha. Now we're talking about good stuff. Um, <laughs> I was 17. It was a little bit after I had... Um, this kind of call to the Yeah, ministry. yeah. Right. It was all, it's funny how like God works. You know, Looking back, you're like, wow, God's mm-hmm. hand was in every little moment. But um, I met my wife in Nashville, Tennessee when we were both 17. She was making um, music at the time, Christian music. She was, on, she was signed to a Christian record label. And my older brother happened to be signed to the same Christian wow. record label. And I was in Nashville visiting my brother and he had a concert or a show or performance and she was going to support him because they had met through the label. And at that event, I saw her walk in. I was like, all right, that's the one. (laughs) And uh, that whole day, we spent the day together um, just kind of at this event then afterwards hanging out. And I was, I was so afraid I forgot to, I didn't forget. I just didn't have enough courage to ask her for a number. I remember we had got done with the night or the day. I was like, hey, like, so she's saying goodbye. I'm like, well, hey, yeah, uh, you know, hey, hey, yeah. Um, well, you know, hey, yeah, uh, I'll, I'll give you a call sometime. And she's like, yeah, cool. And she <laughs> said bye, but I had never got her number. And this is before Twitter and before Facebook and before anything. And so I had to stalk her. And somehow I found a friend that she knew that had her number. And then I got her number. And, you know, the funny thing is I got her number and I called her, I don't know, a day later. And she didn't pick up. And so I was like, Cool. I told my older brother, we were, we were actually on his, this tour bus that he was traveling. I was like, yo, I, I called Don Cherie. He's like, well, did she pick up? I was like, no, she didn't, she didn't, she didn't pick up, but I left her a message. He was like, oh, okay. Well, I left my phone in the room. My brother then went into that bedroom, grabbed my phone and proceeded to call her like 30 plus times oh, from my nice. phone. He thought it was funny because he kind of knew her. Yeah. I came back in there later on. Can you imagine you met a guy <laughs> two days earlier and then you never gave him your number. Yeah. Somehow he got your number and then he proceeded to call you 30 <laughs> plus times. The fact that she didn't run away from me, it's I don't miracle. know. It's either miraculous <laughs> or maybe she's got a little crazy in her too. And so uh, either way, it was an act of God that we got to be together. Amazing. And the rest is history, as they say. The rest is history. She fell in love head over heels for me. And, so you, you married, know, it was just miraculous. You married, no. uh, graduated, and started working for your parents' church, Trinity yeah. Church. Um, was that a kind of easy transition for you? I'm thinking particularly for you and, and for your wife to, for, 
to go to your parents' church and to work, her to work <laughs> yeah, for yeah. her in-laws. Um, no, I don't think it was. I think, I think that we were finishing, we went to school at the university. It's a Christian liberal arts school in Cleveland, Tennessee. Don Shree's from Shreveport, Louisiana. Uh, we went to school in Cleveland, Tennessee. So these are all like Southern states. And when I use the word Southern, not just geographically in America, but it's also a way of life mm-hmm. and a culture and a mindset. And um, so Don Shree would have grown around this Southern hospitality and kind of rural, quiet life. And then Miami, although geographically it's it's the South, it, it's not that culture, it's its own country. Mm-hmm. And so after being in Tennessee, for me, it was five years for Don Shree, four years. We get married our last year. We're in college together having a, kind of a quiet first year of marriage, which once again, looking back was all the hand of God because it prepared us. But um, we were getting out with school and there were some opportunities. We had probably had three different kind of key opportunities of us going, we can take jobs. And we went home for Christmas to visit mom and dad. And it was like our first Christmas as a married couple. And we were there and I don't know, it was just something in my heart started to turn when we were there just going, I felt really led to come and serve my parents really. Mm-hmm. It wasn't, there was vision for what we were going to do, but it was, it was more about an alignment to being underneath mom and dad and serving them and helping them with whatever was really in their heart. Mm-hmm. And so we came back from Christmas and I said, I don't know, babe, I know we got these other opportunities and people asking us for this, but I kind of feel like we should go to Miami. And she said, you know, I'm with you. Yeah. And so we made in, in May that, that trip down to Miami and said, well, here we are, we're going to work here. And yeah, I don't think we knew what we were in for. I don't think I knew what I was fully doing, leading my wife into this brand new space called Miami. And so year one, Don Shree's a trooper and one of the most flexible people you ever meet and good attitude all the time. But I think it was a major adjustment for her, one, living in Miami, two, working in an urban kind of inner city context, three, working for her in-laws. Yeah. And maybe we should flip it all around. One, working for her in-laws. <laughs> to, you know what I mean? So, um, but but it prepared us and got us ready. and. Yeah. We had wonderful years, right at eight years of, of serving there, and that we learned so much about leadership, so much about people, so much about ministry. You know, ministry is always an on-the-job training kind of experience, and mm. you can go to Bible college, you can go to seminary, and I re- recommend all those things. But then when you actually get into it, it's, it's working with people, learning people, and journeying with people. And um, nothing can really prepare you for that yeah. until you until you get into That's it. It's very different, isn't it? Yeah, you can talk about all this stuff, but you got to just get in and yeah. do it. So out of that, then you started the Rendezvous, yep. which is a young adults gathering out of your dad's church, and that of course would go on to become what is now your church, Vu Church. Yeah, uh, short for the for the Rendezvous, just the Vu on the yeah. end of it. But tell me about those early days and, and starting that. How did that gathering come about? Was that something your dad wanted you to do, or something you initiated? Yeah, I think Dad and I were talking. I think Dad was just my dad's highly relational. And, um, I think one of the things I've watched from him is just, I think he just likes to get the right people around him. I don't think he's Mr. Like you do this and do that. I think he's just full of vision, big vision. And then he kind of trusts people to, to execute some of those things. And so when we were moving down to Miami, he said, what do you, what do you want to do, Rich? I was like, what do you need? He's like, what do you want to do? I was like, (laughs) well, I think that there's a gap here right now in our church of, for young adults. And so we started this discussion about young adults. And I remember, I don't know if it was like six months or maybe it was a year, but it was, it was sometime before we had gotten down there. When I say sometime, like I feel like a year out of going, I just like this name rendezvous. And, um, I don't know. Like you, you never know like what something's going to turn into. I can't believe it's still part of my life, but I kind of had this name rendezvous. Didn't know what that was going to be. And so when we were moving, I was like, I think dad, maybe we should just try this young adult service. And I had gone to school in Tennessee and that's not too far from Atlanta, Georgia. And at the time, 
um, in Atlanta, Georgia out of Andy Stanley Church, uh, a mentor of mine, a friend of mine now, but not then, was a guy named Louis Giglio, who used to lead a Tuesday night Bible study, a parachurch model out of Andy's church called 722. And it was a college gathering. And on Tuesday nights, they would meet and thousands would show up and it was music. And of course, Louis would brilliantly teach the word. And so I was really impacted by it. And so we moved to Miami. I was like, I think we should do Tuesday nights. It wasn't a word from God. It was more like I saw Louis do Tuesday nights. <laughs> yeah. And let's try to do this, this, what we were just calling the space of young adults. And that was more so because I didn't feel like we could focus on just one niche. I felt like let's make this thing broad and open it up. And so we said 18 to 35, which is quite a big, big range of age. And we just called it young adults. And we started this thing on Tuesday nights. And in the early days, man, we kind of spent the summer. I got to Miami in May and that summer I kind of gathered my brothers and my cousin and whoever I knew there was about 12 to 14 people. It's much like how we started the church. We can talk about that in a moment, but we kind of met upstairs at our church and I just kind of started to cast a vision. Didn't know what I was doing at all. Didn't even know that that was like a good idea to get some people around it and get a small group of people to hear what you're thinking. And it was just kind of meeting style. Like, Hey, I, I would have like little PowerPoint presentations like, okay, and this is why we're going to do this time and this day. And that summer we just kind of began to gather people. And then we launched in the fall. And I think we had like the first night, like, I mean, a little over a hundred people. And then like everything that kind of starts, it went way down and you started the hard ground grind of building something. And so, um, I think about it over a year into it, we had a defining moment. A friend of mine, his name is John Gray. Um, he came to speak. We probably had about 150 people at the time and John came and preached on Tuesday night. And now today, once again, John is, you know, world renowned and preaches all over the world and has television shows and has worked with Joel Osteen is now taking on his own church. And he's a very well-known name in Christianity. Mm -hmm. But at the time he was just, he's been a friend of mine for over right at 10 years now, but he just came and, but that night something just shifted in the atmosphere and, um, something shifted, but something shifted in me too. It was like something unlocked. I think there was this, okay, I'm a, I'm a preacher of the gospel. I'm not just a teacher. I'm not just a leader. Like I'm, I'm called to preach with boldness. And that night, I just the, the altar space that we kind of created at the front was just full of people and a momentum kind of began to come on the thing and strategies and, you know, we could go through all this stuff, but from there, there was an upward turn right. literally and it just began to take off like wildfire and it grew to, you know, 1200 people on a Tuesday night in the wow. Miami gardens area and people from all different walks of life come in and yeah. it started a beautiful journey. So at what point did this then go from just being a Tuesday night thing at your dad's church and now you running your own church? Right. Yeah. I think, I think, you know, I think it's John Maxwell who we just heard from the leadership conference, but I, I think early days when I read John Maxwell, he said, you know, the fastest way to leadership is solve problems. And so when you start solving problems, you start getting promoted in leadership. And so I think that we were young. We were 23 when we started with mom and dad. And I think that they would just, problems would come our way. And I think we'd try to solve one problem and solve the next one. And so we kind of grew from like youth pastor to like young adult pastor to like over the youth ministry to eventually kind of like this executive pastor where we we're overseeing all sort of church ministries and in a lot of ways operating and leading and executing dad's, dad's vision. And so on that journey, I think we were kind of, there was this tension of what, hey, is there something more? I think that at some point, you know, Tuesday nights, like the church doesn't exist for Tuesday nights. You know, Tuesday nights is a, is a ministry out of the church, but it began to have this, what we felt was a holy momentum attached to it. A conference was birthed out of it. Music was happening, leaders being developed. And so I just think it began healthy conversations with mom and dad after many years of going, what, what's next? You yeah. know, is this, 
How many years did it run as a as a group from? Well, it's church? still going, which right. is kind of cool. Okay. Rendezvous still happens on Tuesday nights, right. and um, the wow. the guy that I actually started it with that was under our leadership is leading, and I think it's thriving. Wow. Hundreds and hundreds of people show up on Tuesday so nights. So rendezvous still happens. Yeah, on Tuesday rendezvous night. still happens, and then Vu Church. Uh, on the yeah, Sunday. and they yeah <laughs> they still have it out of that church on Tuesday nights. Their rendezvous were Vu. A lot of competition. <laughs> no, um, but uh, no, they they they've kind of take they kind of hang on to rendezvous, and we sort of yeah branched out and became Vu. But I mean, there's, because it's mom and dad, yeah. it just all works. Yeah. It's all relationship. We have a conference coming up in June and they'll bring a truckload of people. But I, I just think it just began very yeah. naturally, conversation. Yeah. And I think one day it was like, I feel called. And the next day I was like, I don't know. And dad's like, no, you should go do it. I think other days it was like, dad, baby's like, maybe you should stay. You know what I mean? It goes back and forth. And so I think it was really year of conversation yeah. and finally in september of 2014 dad said i think that you guys should step out we said we feel it too and so we announced to trinity church that's the church my dad leads in september of 2014 and then we took a year where we had what we call like a launch team and i, and I got a word it was actually from louis giglio how funny time goes like that right before we were announced and he said you know two pieces of advice don't ask anybody to go with you and anybody you feel like that shouldn't go with you tell them they can't come which is typically not normal advice for every church planner I would give you. If you're out there and you want to plan a church, usually I would say, let everybody come and ask the whole world to come. You know what I mean? Like, cause it's just, but, but it was the right word for us yeah. because I think our story and our w- was different. And so what we, we didn't ask anybody to come. People were led to come and talk to us. And then at the announcement on our vision Sunday at Trinity, it kind of created some space that we ran interest meetings. Mm-hmm. And so people would kind of show up and go, we're interested. And so for a whole year we had what we call a launch team. And it was an invite only after they had, you know, shown interest. And we built a group to about a, about right at 200 people after a year. And we would meet every other Sunday, Sunday, started in my house, old, ended up in the Miami rescue mission. It was kind of interesting because it was like, you know, church should never be exclusive. Church should always be bring all your friends. But for a whole year, we had like an exclusive church. It was like, <laughs> can I bring my friends? We're like, nope, this is only for the launch team. But all of that was, was a beautiful time to build yeah. a runway. For and developing values the foundations and down to you begin got with, it. Yeah. And so then September 2015, we launched what is now known yeah. as Vu Church. And where are you up to now? How many people are coming regularly? Well, 100,000 people show up every every Sunday. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> I know churches yeah, in America yeah, yeah. are big. Uh, right now, 1 million. Now, they don't all come every Sunday. <laughs> the membership is now 2 million, but last week we saw 200 in the seats. Uh, now, you know, it's grown and it's, it's a few thousand people. And um, I, I just, I think our aim is not for those things. I think our aim has always been to be a healthy church. And I think to be healthy causes you have to fight for that. And so I just believe healthy things grow. Sure. And so, Can you describe what a typical Sunday looks like for people who haven't been to your church before? What's it like? In terms of just the experience, you mean? Um, I think our church is fun. You know, it's, I think it's a high energy place, a very, very welcoming place. I think it's a place where people are passionate about what they're doing. We, we mm-hmm. built the church off of seven core values. Jesus is our message. People are our heart. Excellence is our spirit. Generosity is our privilege. Servant leadership is our identity. Honor is our calling. And passion is our pursuit. And so hopefully those values become visible and evident in who we are. I don't want to just Mm. put stuff up on the wall. I want to to try to live those things out. But, you know, our our gatherings are about uh, an hour and 20 minutes. Um, They typically start with, with music and some is high energy. And then I think also beautiful worship. I think people... They worship with not just their words, but with their body language. I think that um, uh, there's people that would welcome you to church and wonderful MCs, and I think they're just trying the whole time to think about the person that's 
never been to church before. And yeah. then I just, I typically open up the Bible and preach it like I feel it and try to have fun with it and not take ourselves too seriously, but yeah. take Jesus very seriously. It serious. was, uh, I think it was Chad Veach, who um, is a pastor in LA, who said that you're the great, one of the greatest preachers in the world. Well, Chad is a liar. We've all known that <laughs> about his life. And so if I, were, if I, I wouldn't get quotes from Chad. He has a lot of character issues and um, he's got some hidden sin. Uh, Chad is my best friend. He's an elder in our church. And so this is the only stuff we would say about If he's elders. your best friend and elder in your church, he probably does think that you're the greatest preacher. Oh, he might be slightly biased. I think Chad Veach is one of the great, great communicators of our generation not just as a preacher i think the word communicator well, so well someone who may not be quite as biased as a squ- as uh, as chad would maybe be a squire magazine who did a profile on you Ooh. um uh, but they said that you preach a message of fun and they actually said the next step of that is just towards the prosperity gospel which you know yeah is that harsh or do they have a point i mean you mentioned well, i the think, word they, I think they were very harsh with us and this is probably the first one i've talked about out loud um but uh yeah i i think that article in particular was a little bit um I found it to be harsh and somewhat surprising. I thought I had wonderful conversations with the man doing the article, but look, people are going to make their own judgments and their own calls. I think fun is awesome. Um, I actually like, so he did get that right. Yeah. I, 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 we, we say all the time and actually mean this. I think we're called to throw parties with a purpose. You read Luke chapter 15, if we want to take it to the Bible and we see Jesus's defense to his ministry. That's what scholars would call Luke chapter 15. It was the why behind what he was doing. Why are you at the well with, with this, you know, Samaritan woman? Why are you at the party? Why are you hanging out with tax collectors? Why are you there? Why are you doing this? And finally, Jesus is like, all right, here's how it goes. And he just tells three stories, he tells a story about a lost sheep, a lost coin and a lost son. And every time someone finds something when the shepherd finds the sheep, when the woman finds the coin, when the father finds the son, what do they do at all three of those stories? Each time they throw an epic party. And I say it's epic because by the third story, we find out that the older brother who's there, he heard the music and he heard the dancing. How do you hear dancing? (laughs) They must've been going hard up in that party. And so I think there's something about celebration that we have underestimated in the church and there's something about fun and parties, but they have to have a purpose. Mm. I think if this stuff of fun just terminates in ourself, yeah. well, that's not a gospel centric life. That's not a Jesus centric life, but rather when you have fun and you celebrate and you have Jesus in your conscious and in your mind, it rolls up into praise and adoration of him. It's, mm. it's like anything that's good in life. You know, there's nothing wrong with food uh, as long as it's rolling up into praise of God. And I think there's wonderful pleasures God has given us that should not just terminate into ourselves, but rather should roll up in praise. And that, that's how I think, I think church is a family. And in my family, I don't know what your family was like, dude, the doors would get shut and we'd come in and we would have a good time. We'd sit around the dinner table all hours, telling stories and laughing really hard. It wasn't always serious. And there was that, but that's what I think church should be. Yes. You're saying, you know, we need to lighten up sometimes, have some fun. It can be maybe a a little bit, maybe a little bit. I got to be careful as I'm over here, you know, in England telling people to lighten up, you know? (laughs) Well, I was going to say, you know, when a lot of people think of church, the first thing that comes to mind is not fun. Sure. So you're saying this, we've gone wrong somewhere here. Have we, have we arrived at this point where if you talk to the average Brit in this country, you know, they will say that church is stuffy, boring. Why would I ever go there? It's judgmental. You're saying, you know, your church hopefully doesn't give off that vibe. But how have we gone so wrong? How have we arrived at this perception where people think of Christianity as stuffy and boring and dull? Well, I think we, we, we miss the message so often. And I think that we have turned the message into 
into a religion and what a religion ultimately is, is here's our rules. Here's the, here's our value points. And if you don't agree, you know, then you don't belong here. I think the message of Christ is not one of, you know, going from being bad to being good, but one of death to life. I think we have to keep that at the forefront. I think so many things began as a movement, but now have turned into a monument. Mm -hmm. And so life is, is vital for something to be moving. And the idea of a movement, the church, I think is a movement but if there is no life, then it, it becomes stale, becomes yeah. decrepit. I, I, don't you love that picture that the, the Bible says that the, the church is the body of Christ? I think, these, I think these metaphors, you know, the bride of Christ, these metaphors really, really matter mm. because a bride is excited and is in love with the groom and it's, it's deep love and there's all these facets to the love. A body, a healthy body is one that is active and moving and can stretch and goes through trials, you know. I think muscles, they're not the start of strength. They're the sign of strength, but you have to go through the trial to grow. And so I think the church has to have challenges and has to walk and keep moving. And so how has it become that way? I, I think that we've turned church into a place rather than a people. I think we've turned, turned church into an organization rather than it's an organism. And we have to come back to some of that stuff. We have to come back to the fact that actually church is not this place that you go to on Sunday, but church is who you are every single day yeah. of the week. And I think we... We're trying, look, look, you know, we're trying, we're two and a half years old and we've got a lot of problems. You know, my son is three months, but when he's two years old, I think, can they walk it too? somebody help me out? I don't know. I want to keep it as simple as I can, as basic as I can, who Jesus is and his love for me and what that does for me. Whatever you're full of is what you're going to be led by. And so reclaiming and reminding myself of the gospel is really helpful for me. Now, congratulations are in order. You mentioned your son, Wyatt. Yes. Um, this is really quite significant for you because you've, you've talked about this before, yep. you and your wife struggling uh, to conceive for eight years. Can you talk us through some of that journey? It must have been incredibly painful and difficult. And that's a long time. I'm sure there were moments where, you know, you were giving up hope on this. Yeah, I think that it, it, the best word is that it's, it was a journey. Um, at 25, Dontree found out that it was going to be very challenging for her to have kids. And, um, we kind of just began that journey and, uh, through a series of events, there was lots of no, 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 no. And so, um, yeah, I think when you hear that over and over again, you can, um, you can at times start to lose your hope a little bit. Scripture says hope deferred makes the heart grow sick. I think many times we misinterpret that scripture though. And I think I had to learn this. I think many times we take out the word hope, and we put in other words, you know, me not having a baby deferred makes my heart grow sick or my miracle deferred makes my heart grow sick or my breakthrough or my dreams deferred makes my heart grow sick. But, but it doesn't say that it says hope deferred. So you have to define what is, what is hope? I, I think as I look at scriptures, hope is the building block to our faith. We know that these three things remain faith, hope, and love and faith you know, is, is this substance faith is now faith is being sure of what I hope for certain of what I cannot see. So I would honestly define hope as not wishful thinking, not positive thinking, but, mm. but hope is theological more than it is psychological. And I think hope is the building blocks to my faith without, if I don't have hope, I won't have faith, but hope is to me, how I define it is a constant expectation that God is working even when I can't sense it. Mm. So when I put that into context with that scripture, it's, it's when I don't have this expectation that God's working, even when I can't sense him, when I defer that, when I let go of that, when I delay that, that's where my heart grows sick. And I think for us, 
what we had to come to is that the baby was not was not the goal. The baby was not the prize. The baby was not the reward. We 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 believed for a baby. We kept claiming and declaring for a baby. But we came to a place where it's like, even if we don't ever get a baby, we have Jesus. And there was a peace and a hope that was born out of all of that, that even in our toughest hours, I felt like there was a healthy perspective. And I'm not, everyone's got their own story. So it's like, I just got to be honest with mine, you mm. know? I think that we, we definitely had tough days, but I felt like there was, I felt like we kept the hope. And what was really awesome about our stories, Don Shree <clears throat> was very quiet about it. Not just um, from a, from the platform, but very quiet about it. Even with our friends and family for the first four or five years. And about three or four years ago, she was speaking at color conference in Sydney Hillsong color conference, getting there to preach. And she just felt like I'm going to share our story. And what was so cool is that many times we hear the story after the breakthrough or after yeah. the miracle, but it's easier she, to talk about it. then. It is, you know, and, and, yeah. and I'm wherever you're at on your journey, I'm not telling you to do, it. but she decided to, to speak from the Valley and it wasn't, she declared we are going to have a baby, but, but she also was very, very careful to say, but even if we don't ever have a baby, we still have this hope in our God and we've got everything we need in Jesus. And so there was this cool statement of faith from the Valley that mm-hmm. people saw and so I think it made it that much better that when the miracle did happen, that the celebration was that much louder. Cause I think hope deferred yeah. makes the heart grow sick, but I think hope revealed is always worth the wait. And so I think my encouragement to people is just in waiting on God. There's so much to learn about God. There's so much that he reveals to us. You don't yeah. have to, you don't have to waste that season. I mean, you said that actually that season of infertility helped you learn more about Jesus. So much about Jesus, so much about Jesus. And there's some lessons you wish you could skip, but, but if you skip them, you're going to miss out on there's so much to learn and makes me love my son more. makes me love my wife more. And I said last night preaching at HTB, I was talking about the idea of just dreams and God dreams. And I was just opening saying, and I'd waited for me in a lot of ways that having a son was a dream. And we had this son and it was an eight year wait. And I got to be honest with you, I needed eight years. God was showing me stuff. And so we have to learn to trust God's timing. And I can just testify with our story, eight years and looking back, you know, when I was 25, I wanted a kid, 26, wanted a kid, 27, all these things. But man, God knew what he was doing when he gave me my son at 33 and 34. And I'm thankful for it. I'm grateful for it. And I've just learned in all of that, that even if I don't get my breakthrough, I can keep my hope and my heart can stay healthy. And when it does happen, it's always worth the wait. Mm -hmm. Premier Christianity Magazine, in this month's issue. He's the pastor famous for marrying Kanye West and Kim Kardashian. We talked to the megachurch preacher, Rich Wilkerson Jr. Jesus told us to love our neighbors, but do we even know who they are? Read our shocking report. Plus, discover how Catholics are questioning the Pope's views on doctrine and why are so many young men following Jordan B. Peterson? For your free copy, visit premierchristianity.com forward slash free sample. Now, you, you must have known this, this question was coming. I've been dying to ask it Let's the whole go. time. You and Kanye West. Oh, here we go. Uh, I just, I would love to hear about that friendship. So for, for those who don't know, you had the immense privilege of conducting the wedding ceremony of Kim Kardashian and, uh, and Kanye West. You know, that's that's something that I think a lot of Christians will be amazed at. A lot of Christians will pray for well-known figures like that, celebrities like that, and, and pray that God might put good people around them, um, God might break into their lives. And and it seems from what I've read that you have a, a friendship with, with Kanye West. So how did that how did that begin? 
Yeah, it just, you know how it began um, many years ago. Uh, I had a friend that was going to the rendezvous that was friends with Kanye and Kanye was in town and he brought Kanye to church and literally <laughs> as normal and as natural and as um, ordinary as it was, literally he came to church and afterwards we sat in the back for a while and talked and exchanged email addresses and then he came back yeah. to church the next week. And then he came back to church the next week. He just kept coming to church. He kept flying in and being at church and we just started a friendship really through email and talking and um, kept the friendship and when it came time for him to get married um i think he was in need of someone to do the wedding i for some reason he felt comfortable enough for don and i to be there and yeah i just i thought it was a it was a beautiful opportunity and, a, and really a privilege for us i think doing any wedding mm -hmm. is a real privilege when people invite you into that space on a day that they will never forget and allowing you to speak over them and into them and with their friends and family huge privilege and it's always a cool opportunity. It's an even cooler opportunity, I think, that when you have a relationship with that person, you know, when you pastor, you end up marrying lots of people, and that's kind of one of the things you do, um, marry and bury, right? And so uh, sometimes you marry people that you don't have much of a relationship with, but it's that much sweeter when you do. Mm -hmm. And so I think um, my friendship with Kanye is one that I've really valued, and I, and I value today, and I think I've learned a whole lot from him. I've really appreciated his perspective. I think he's a guy that many times is very misunderstood. And I think he's a, a guy who um, has got these brilliant ideas. And I think sometimes he's just trying to figure out how to get out all that he has received or he's thinking about. And I think sometimes that comes out in awesome ways. I think other times that comes out maybe in a misconstrued way that creates controversies and creates complications and creates people going, well, I don't get that. And um, like all of us, I think he's on the journey. Mm -hmm. And unlike me and unlike probably some of us here, I think his journey is always through the magnifying glass of the media and everything he does, good or bad, gets magnified and people comment and mm -hmm. critique. And so I think just in my time of getting to meet some high profile celebrities, um, I think you start to feel for them in a lot of ways. And I'm not trying to come here and like get people to be, you know, Oh man, they've got it. But, but I think, you, you know, proximity, getting close to someone, you start to see someone's story. And so whoever you get close to, famous, nameless, yeah. you start to hear their stories and yeah. everybody has a story and compassion comes when we get to meet people beyond the yeah. clip or headline. And I guess all the biggest critics of someone like Kanye West, all the people who've never met him. Of course. Yeah, of course. And, um, and I'm sure there's critics of people that, that have met him. You know I mean? I think that all of us, we, we, there's critics of me, people that know me and then people that don't know me. Yeah. And, and I then, bet you listen to those who do know you more than the ones who don't. I'm trying. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think absolutely. And I think that's vital. How have you handled criticism when it comes to Christians viewing your relationship with Kanye West and having an opinion on that? Both those you do know and those you don't know. Yeah. I think once again, I think, I think what you just know, I think the ones that, know me best have supported and celebrated and have understood you know who we are um they're asking me this question not in in connection to maybe a person but just criticism in general mm. at htb and i i wish i could say that it, it's never bothered me but i think you know maturing as a man and maturing as a leader um that's an area that I've had to had, had to grow in. It's, it's kind of funny, right? Like the guy that we follow, the guy we're talking about, his name's Jesus. And, um, you know, they killed him. Like 
They didn't tweet nasty stuff. They didn't write bad articles in magazines. They, they put nails in his hands and nails in his feet and they, they killed him. They stripped him naked. And sometimes I think I won't speak for other people, but for me, it's funny that I would think that I could follow that guy (laughs) and not have to deal with a little bit of pushback. And so I think we have to realize if we're going to change the world, if we're going to make an impact in any world, in any space, there's going to be pushback. There's going to be criticism. And I think we have to um, make sure that we're listening to the right voices. And for me, that's just been the journey. I think different seasons of my life, I think I'm getting better at this and growing in this to not let it, criticism can hit you. Don't let it get in you. You know what I mean? Don't, otherwise bitterness shows up. Offense shows up. Fear sets in. I don't want to walk in fear. I want to walk in faith. I, I, I had a revelation after a really nasty article one time came out of us. We've had quite a few nasty articles, but, um, I was like, I, I was talking to my friend, Carl Lentz. I said, bro, you know, here's a guy who's been, he's had his fair share of critics and gone through enough things in the media. He's one of my heroes. And I was just, I was down. I was discouraged. I said, bro, I don't know. This doesn't seem worth it. You know, like, I don't think I want to, it's just, I'm just going to pass through this church. And he said, Rich, he's like, bro, the people that know you, know you, everybody else, you just got to keep it moving. He's like, but are you really going to ask God to rescue you from things that you've prayed for your entire life? And it changed something inside of me because he was right. Since I was 17 years of age, I would lay in my room, lay at the foot of the, the altar at the church and pray and cry, God, give us influence. God, give us a voice mm-hmm. to those that don't know the gospel. Put us in front of kings. Put us in front of culture makers and influencers. And then God does it. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, God, uh, I can't do this anymore. This got really hard. There was... <laughs> You get what I'm saying? So yeah, like you have to kind of stand firm and after you've done everything to stand firm, stand firm. Yeah. And so I, I think it's, I think it's a growth process. Yeah. And I think it's about tough skin, soft heart kind of a thing. Yeah. You know? Uh, you know, and I'm sure there's, there's always going to be misunderstandings, isn't there? There's, you're always going to be misunderstood when you have a high profile. Um, you know, I, I imagine some people might think, Oh, you know, this, this pastor who sort of pastors some celebrities and well-known people, well, if he's got those kind of relationships, he must just be compromising on all the kind of key doctrines and he must just be buddies yeah. with them and not, not give them the hard truths. But that's not really where you're coming from. I mean, you know, you listen to you preach and you will talk about sin. You'll talk about repentance. Sure. And, and so, you know, and I'm not looking for gossip here or for you to name names, but I'm, I'm just asking the question, are you privately with some of these well-known people able to kind of have the harder questions as, as well as the easy ones? Yeah, I think in every relationship, I think that truth should come after trust. What I mean is, like, I love that picture, and I've been talking about it a lot recently in our church. Um, in John chapter 1, you know, Jesus came full of grace and truth. I love that picture, full of grace, full of truth. He didn't strike a balance between the two. He's full mm. of both. He's, you want to know what grace is? Look at Jesus. You want to know what truth is? Jesus. I was just talking to our church the other day. I was like, what does it mean that Jesus is truth? Well, we live in a world today that everyone's like, live your truth, you know, and I mean, that was kind of mean. You know, live your truth. And what does that mean to live your truth? I think that truth in the world in 2018, many people are defining truth from their feelings, whatever I feel truth is. I think people define their truth from what their friends say, what the media says, what the world says. That's where I get my truth. I think sometimes we get our truth from our fantasies, what I, what I want it to be, what I, oh, my good intentions. But when you follow Jesus and you say, what is truth? Well, what it means is, is that when Jesus disagrees with my feelings, He's still my truth. When Jesus goes opposite against my friends, he's still my truth. When Jesus doesn't line up with my fantasies, I'm choosing his truth. I've died to myself. And so truth is unavoidable. But truth 
I think has to come after grace. And although there's not a balance between the two, he's full of both. I do think the order matters. Mm. Jesus did not come full of truth and grace. He came full of grace and truth. And I think there's something there to the scripture that grace comes first. Truth comes second. So let's connect before we correct. And I think many people who make these criticisms are going, are you sharing the doctrines? The doctrines don't matter if they don't know that you care about them. The truth is not boldness when you have no relationship. Because they won't hear you. They won't hear you. you. Have the relationship. You know what I mean? Like, I like that idea. Like, you know, a spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down. He's sugarcoating it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I am. If the medicine gets in, the medicine gets in. I, I'm going to do whatever I can. That's called being a good fisherman. Last time I checked, Jesus said, you know, go make disciples. Come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Well, what is fishing? You're putting bait on a hook. <laughs> like, just come on. Look at some of these metaphors Jesus gave us. Like, so my job is to fish. Um, but to answer your question, that was the long way of getting there. Yeah, absolutely. But hopes, hopefully I'm doing so not so I can make myself feel good or justify my time with people, but rather because I care deeply about people. And I believe that unless you're living the truth of Jesus, you're living a lie. And if you're living a lie, it's going to leave you broken. It's going to leave you dejected, disenfranchised, hurting. The scripture in Proverbs says there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end leads to destruction. And so I think for me, it's a burden for people that I would give people the truth, but I'm trying to figure out how to, how to give them that at the right time that I think is going to be um, best served for them, if that makes sense. And you know, it's it's not just on the personal one-to-one. You were speaking earlier um, about how the amazing technology of social media enables you to connect with loads of people who would never go to church. I mentioned at the beginning, you've got literally hundreds of thousands of people following you on some of these platforms, but do you ever switch off from it? I try to, you know what I mean? Um, I think it's something I'm working on. Uh, This is a fun question because on on one level, I think we're talking about like a, a soul part, you know what I mean? And so I think there's a soul side of us that must, and there's another side of it. I think there's a currency in our world that like, if we could just talk naturally for a second, like I just got done reading this book. I'm, I'm trying to read two books a month right now. And that's, I know that's a very small amount for all of you intellectuals over here in England. <laughs> but uh, for me, this, this whole redneck from America, uh, I can only handle about two books a month. And most of them are audio books, but uh, <laughs> audio books uh, still count. Yeah. Right. The they still count. Yeah. I always love people. It's like, I haven't read, but I listen. I'm like, dude, it's get it's this stuff in you. But um, I, I just read this book called Crushing It by this guy named Gary Vee. And he's a he's a content producer and a, and a really a social media phenomenon who, who teaches leadership and lots of things. But in his book, he goes through all the different social media platforms. And I was just inspired talking about it because I think that if we're not careful, I think the church is, is kind of missing a moment. And... Um, I think that some of these new platforms are the new mediums we're, we're doing podcasts and radio and TV in here today. But you, we do realize that like 50 years ago, in many ways, the church demonized these things mm, yep. and talked about how these were destructive things mm-hmm. and were afraid of these things. And uh, now today we're using these things rather than letting these things use us. And so I think the same thing is for, for, for social media. Social media is not bad as long as we're using it, not letting it use us. Mm -hmm. There's a part of it right now where 
we live in a world right now that is that is consumer based. That's that's content, and it's not just the quality of your content; it's the quantity of your content. It's speed. People they so want real. In fact, even like today, walking in here, it's like, well, I'm going to put something on the Instagram story because people aren't actually like. They don't need something overly produced. Mm-hmm. They'd rather you just document yeah. and they want to just get a glimpse, get a glimpse. And so I think w- one of my favorite scriptures from Paul that's helped me in my church planning days and that's how we've kind of built our church is like, hey, I didn't just preach the gospel to you, but we shared our lives mm-hmm. with you. I love that little phrase. And I think kind of look at that even with the social media side of it. It's like, yeah, like I try to just bring it along. And I think that people have gravitated towards us. Yeah. And I think that they love the message, but they also like love the people. Yeah. And I think that we have to be aware of that stuff. Yeah. But with all, all of this stuff, it's always the highlights, isn't it? When you look on Instagram, it's always the best parts of someone's day. Oh, I think so. Yeah. And, and we might acknowledge that, but are there others who perhaps aren't, aren't consuming this with the same mentality? And you do hear these sure. stories of people just thinking you have the perfect life. Cause sure. all I ever see of you is getting on planes and preaching in front of thousands sure. of people. But I think there's just a trend. Like that's what I'm saying. I, that's what I'm going. Like we, I can go both routes right now with this conversation for sure. There's a whole world out there that social media is destroying people and it's creating comparisons and, and I would preach a whole lot about it, but I'm also just taking the conversation and I'm kind of playing, not even devil's advocate, something I believe. I just think we're on a trend Mm. and rather than be like really, really afraid, I think the trend and the pendulum will switch and more and more. I think that social media is becoming the language of the culture that people are going to, are going to figure out that it's yeah, dude, it's highlights. It's a, it is the TV show, just like a TV show. You don't turn that on to see reality. You turn that on to go like I'm it's entertainment. Like reality TV is not reality folks. <laughs> They're scripted and it's an exploited version. Let's heighten this moment. Let's talk. Like get what I mean? Like, yeah. so I just think that it's like wrestling. Like the day yeah. I found out that wrestling wasn't real, like it's a, <laughs> but it is, you know? So I, I think, I think, I just think that social media, I think it's, I think it's actually going to have its curve of going, okay, um, and so I'm just one of these kind of people that like, I'm actually for social media. I like what it, the potential that it holds. I think it's a fun time to be alive. I love the fact that I can show people where I am. Yeah. And I think that we also, though, those that are producing content and putting things on social media, we should be real with it too. Yeah. We should, we've tried to do some fun stuff. Not I, a lot of times right now. I, I, for a while there, I was preaching six times on a Sunday. Wow. And so I would get off of the stage and be like, not my favorite one of the day. You know what I mean? Like, 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 like just things you probably don't hear. Like, Hey, come back at six. I'm going to do, I'm going to, I'm going to say that I'm going to do it better. Yeah. Which is kind of funny and kind of maybe, yeah. but it's like, I just think it's like, Oh, like I didn't know preachers felt bad. Yeah. I don't always feel great afterwards. And yeah. I don't always feel like, I think, I think documenting some of that stuff is, is fun. I noticed the, the new book, of course, friend of sinners. We talked about this a little bit before. You saw it's a pink cover. It's a fantastic pink color. Thank you so much. I mean, man. you know, it's a pink, great the color of all millennials. It's a great design. It's a great design. But again, you know, your last book, Sandcastle Kings, that yeah. was that was designed by Kanye one. West. Yeah. So it's well, you have be hard this to copy over here that I hate when people have these ones though, because you know this is not this is not the copy. This is this is an this exclusive is, pre-release for yeah. Sam Hale's only copy and, of your new but book. But it makes me mad because a this is a <laughs> hot mess on the back. I don't like photos on the books. I don't like this stuff. Always makes me mad. I hate this paper weight that they put on here. And like this, it's the wrong pink. Uh, right now, the fonts, it goes over the bind on the real ones. Uh, the sizing on, it's all, it's wow. really bad. And so that, I everyone, feel bad that this is the, fr- I, honestly, I was like, guys, why do we send this? Like, that they know, was, like, that was Rich Wilkerson like. Jr. reviewing so. his own book cover. This and is not the cover, though. That's what that's what he need. you got to you got to tell him what, what's going on here. This is what. So this is the are, advanced copy. It's yeah. called advanced reader copy. And ARC. when they do these in publishing houses, they do something quick and. 
Yeah. But it's I don't like quick and yeah. I don't like so anyway, sorry. But yeah, let's talk about the book. That's that's great. I mean yeah. now that we've now It's not about covers, people, it's about content. Now that we've slated your oh, publisher. We live in this cover generation. All you guys care about is what's on the outside. What's on the inside <laughs> is what matters. Oh man looks on the outside, but it's God who looks at the heart. We need a generation who cares about the inside. So this is called Friend of Sinners, why Jesus cares more about relationship than perfection. Did you write this book, Friend of Sinners, to justify your relationship with Kanye? Ha 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 Um it's funny you said that. I, I, the joke that I've been telling everywhere I go is that I was writing this book and I was telling a friend of mine who's kind of like on the faith journey. And I was like, yo, I'm writing this book called Friend of Sinners. He said, bro, you cannot do that. I said, what are you talking about? He goes, all your friends are going to be so mad at you. <laughs> and I started to laugh. I said, uh-oh. He thinks I'm the friend in the title. Yeah. Um, I was like, no, 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 bro. I'm the sinner in okay. the title. And so are you. <laughs> um, I, I wrote this book... Um, because honestly, the, the way the whole thing came about, I wrote a book before that called Sandcastle Kings, which both these books are just are Jesus-centered gospel-based books. And I don't know if every book I write will, will be that way, but these first two, I'm really, really grateful that I did that. I feel like that's mm-hmm. that's what I felt really compelled to write on. First one's about foundations, building life on Jesus. This one's about people. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I wrote this book because when I, was, when I was doing press for Sandcastle Kings, yeah, a lot of these conversations came about. How can you do this? And how can you do it with those kind of people? And it's not written because of Kanye West. It's just written because I think that there is the wrong narrative amongst Christians for heaven's sakes about what the message of Jesus is Mm -hmm. and Jesus's mission on the earth and how he lived his life and who he was doing his life with and why his message was radical and why it still is radical today. And, um, he had lots of nicknames and lots of titles that they gave him. But mine is my favorite one is that Jesus, the friend of sinners and, you know, they came to Jesus after he was at a party one day with a bunch of tax collectors, the Pharisees, and said, how could he eat with them? And Jesus, he responds in the classic way that he does. And he says, oh, I haven't come for the healthy. I've come for the sick. And I think back then and even out of day, we hear that line. And we go, that's so beautiful. We love you, Jesus. Yes. Okay. Just want to put that into check. You're here for sick people. But they were missing it, weren't they? They were going, those sick people over there. What Jesus was really saying was, all of you are sick. And I've come for all of you, but it's only those who acknowledge that they're sick, broken, and sinners that will be rescued. And so this is a cry for all of us to be reminded of our brokenness and our frailty and our depravity. And without Jesus, we're all sick. The good news is, is that he came for sick people, which I am the chief among them. And I think out of that salvation moment, and after meeting him and walking relation with him, we too, we have this heart to go and love people where they are. And we too become, hopefully, friends of sinners. Now, you're here in the UK, and I know you're flying off very soon. Something like 2.5 million air miles, is it? Something like that. Yeah, close to 3 million now. So you're, you're a pastor of a church. And I think many people who listen to this who are pastors will think, how can you pastor a church in Miami and yep. make up 2.5 million air miles? It's how called does... Instagram stories, baby. No, I'm kidding. Like how does that work? <laughs> um, well, I think, I think it's, it's, it's a tension we're always trying to manage. Um, Presumably you have quite a large team who kind of just we have an incredible team. We have an incredible team. Um, I don't know about like yeah, eight years ago, really, I think probably maybe three years into the rendezvous journey. That was the young adult movement we was doing with dad. We just started getting invited to things and we've never really like, it's it's very, very good to like put a, put a, like a, a disclaimer out there to everybody. Like so much of what we've done in our life, we've never had a strategy for it. I didn't have a strategy going, this is how we're going to write books. Mm-hmm. Didn't have a strategy to go, this is how we'll go to conferences. I didn't have a strategy to go, 
let's do famous people's weddings. Like, I think people think that's like, well, the other day someone asked me, he's like, what, what, what was your target market when you planted the church? I'm like, uh, people <laughs> like, it's like just everybody that could, you know? So in all of that, I think, I think once again, it's like, we, we just have, we all have our stories and I think you have to lean into what God's doing. Mm. But in all of that, you, you have to learn what are good ideas versus what are God ideas. So it's yes and no, mm-hmm. both matter and both have value. What you say yes to matters. But whatever I say yes to means I'm doing less of something else. And so whatever I say no to matters. But um, I think for us, so a lot of that travel began doing youth conferences and young adult conferences. And man, I love I love that season of my life. And I still get a chance to do some of those things. And um, I think out of that, then we started writing books. And so I think uh, people would have us come in and do other types of things at their churches. And then I think we've planted a church. And so people go, you know, here's a young guy. Let's have him weigh into the conversation of leadership per se. And so I think at every phase, it's, it's always a kind of a renegotiating where we put our time into it. And so for us, people will go, man, how do you balance your life? Well, we don't balance our life. So if you're wondering that there is no balance to our lives, our lives are very imbalanced. We don't even like the word balance. I don't think Jesus was a balanced guy. He spent three years on the row with 12 dudes. Foxes have holes, birds have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. He wasn't balanced, yet somehow he must have found a rhythm in the season that he knew he was in. And so I think it's imperative to define your season so you can determine your rhythm. Mm -hmm. Rhythm changes. Rhythm has a flow. When when people talk about balance, often it's to do with family and ministry. So I'm thinking particularly uh, Billy Graham, obviously, who died earlier this year. Um, One of the things that his children have been quite open about is that their dad wasn't around much yeah. he was often away preaching um and there seems to be a general consensus among his children amongst those around the graham family whilst no one in any way want to speak ill of billy graham in sure. any way shape or form at the same time that wasn't quite right sure that 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 you shouldn't as a pastor be neglecting your family so when people talk about balance it's normally that isn't it it's normally family and ministry yeah and i think i think health of your soul and yeah but i think family but i also just think it's like what have you committed to i think people well, but you're saying this balance. Well, isn't I think people. Even I think possible. people. I think people like they they operate outside of margin, right? So they're they're too stretched, and so it's like everything you're doing, there's not much fruit to it because none of it's getting the best version of you. Right? Does that make sense? So I think you have to define your season. I'm going, where am I pouring into it? There's certain things right now that maybe it's in my heart to do. I can't do it right now with now that I just have this baby boy. Mm-hmm. It's it's redefined my season. There's things that I do with an infant that I won't have to do when he's 12. Does that make sense? So it's like, I'm not going to get locked into this exact yeah. balance. Thing. So things like, change. Certain things change. And so I think you just have to be aware of what, yeah. what things are changing. I think when you think about guys like Billy Graham, which I will not weigh in at all on Billy Graham, other than he's my hero and he changed the world and he still changes me to this day. But I also think like on a logical sense, if we looked at their story, it's like the world's changed. Yeah. Much of what was maybe happening probably in the Graham home is just by default in the sense that to go to the UK was much more difficult and you'd come over here and if you were here, you better stake a ground and do everything you possibly can while you're here because, yo, like getting back over here is going to be difficult again and aligning all that stuff up. Whereas today it's like there's people in the UK that are watching everything that I preach and write through YouTube, through Instagram. Um, I've done conference calls while I've been over here with our team, FaceTimed. You got what I mean? There's technology has been able to bring us in and flight patterns. It's not just one flight to UK every day. There's dozens of flights into New York, into <laughs> Miami. Become a lot I can fly home today and get back here tonight. You know, yeah. So I just think everything's, yeah, yeah. It's, it's much, much easier to, to figure it out. But you know, there's a big part of me that I, I feel like my job is to equip and to train 
our team. My leadership is best seen, not in my presence, but in my absence. Mm. And so I don't want to build a church that's just, hey, is Rich preaching this Sunday? Or I, I want to build a church that's built around the name of Jesus and a healthy community that there's voices speaking into yeah. it. And um, it's not just built on our gift mix. Sure. So what's been the best day and the worst day of your ministry? Ooh, man, that's a great question. I think the best day so far, and I don't know if this is like, I don't know how spiritual this is, but the best day for me was the day we got to tell our church that we were pregnant and all five services, like standing innovations, not even for us. I mean, they're celebrating with us, but just for Jesus, mm-hmm. it was, I think it built a lot of faith mm-hmm. in our community. Yeah. And then really around our, our city of Miami has been really special to see just the city lean into it. Worst day of ministry. Um, day one, we, um, we launched the church on a Sunday, Monday, Sandcastle Kings press. I was, I was in New York doing some press and doing the audio book for Sandcastle Kings. And literally that, that day we, we, we plant, planted, yay. And then Monday I'm in New York and we get this email from a, a lawyer and long story short, day one, we began a, um, a nine month lawsuit with street artists for, um, a case against copyright infringement against our church for graffiti art that ended up in some of our social media ads and publications. And we began a lawsuit from day one. And so I was like, okay, I don't, there's that, you know, Lord, did you really call us to this? Cause we have nothing right now, but we do have a lawsuit, you know? So it's not um, what you expect after you plant a church, is it? Yeah. But you know what? I'm starting to expect things like that more. I think that when you're stepping into things, there's going to be, there's going to be some challenge, but yeah. praise God that that's over. We got through that. But I think that was just one of those kind of yeah. moments. Like I, I really felt last night I was preaching that, HTB um, mm. conference and I preached the message on, on a space in Joseph's life when he was in the prison and I called the message um, incubation through isolation. Incubation means to develop slowly without outward or perceptible signs. And so I think many times we have to go through these pockets, these seasons where maybe the feeling is isolation, but I think a lot of times what we think is isolation where I feel alone and nobody knows what I'm going through is actually incubation is actually used for God to develop mm-hmm. us and grow us. Mm-hmm. And last thought on the idea of isolation, that isolation often leads to your elevation. And so every time I've, I've had those moments, Oh, it's a tough season, a tough road. And I'm kind of like, oh, I don't want to be in this, mm-hmm. but I've always found promotion. I've always found growth. I've always found elevation to be on the backside of it. And so I think I would even encourage people that are listening right now. It's like, if you feel like you're in a season with a lot of pushback or you feel all alone in this thing, I would just say, continue to trust God. Don't quit now. Don't stop now. So often the great things, the beautiful things, the growth, the thing that you've been dreaming for, it's, it's typically on the other side of that. And, um, now when I sense that thing happening, I'm trying, you know, I'm trying to go, okay, God's going to do something through this. And with this, I think that's maturity that I don't back down, but I go, this isn't a permanent destination. Mm. What can I learn? Where's the invitation here to grow, to focus? Because there's going to come a moment of elevation out of this. It's a wonderful place to leave it. Rich, thank you so, so much for coming in and chatting. Thanks for having me, man. I appreciate it. Thanks so much for listening to The Profile Podcast this week. It's brought to you in association with Premier Christianity magazine. That's the magazine that I edit. If you would like to have a free sample copy of our latest edition, which actually features the write-up of the interview you've just heard, plus some great photos, then why not check it out? PremierChristianity.com forward slash free sample is the link you need if you want to request a free print copy of our latest edition. But for now, that's all we've got time for. Thanks so much for joining us on the Profile Podcast. We'll see you next week.